Our text this morning is 1 Peter 1, the verses 3 to 5. And in order to also understand the context, we'll read the verses 1 through 9. So we'll start with 1 Peter 1, verse 1, and then read to verse 9. And here, Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And this is the word of the Lord. After the sermon, we'll sing from hymn 55, stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, where there is life, there is hope, or at least that's the saying. As long as there's a breath of life in someone, there's always a reason for hope. And as long as we live, we almost naturally have hope, hope in something better, or hope that life might go on, or perhaps hope that dreams might just come true. And as long as there's life, things can happen. But really, what is hope in these cases? Is it just a wishful thinking? Just the idea that perhaps something better might come from life? And is hope really only for the living? Or is there hope for those who have passed away as well? Or is death truly the one thing that takes away all reason for hope? Now, our passage this morning addresses some of these questions. But instead of saying that where there is life, there is hope, it shows us that where there is a new life in Jesus Christ, that is where hope is. And this is not a hope that we make up for ourselves, some kind of wishful thinking, but a hope that is based in the work of the Lord our God himself, who gives us hope from beginning to end. And it is a hope in Christ that will not be taken away by death. 
It is not a hope that is made of wishful thinking, but a hope that has its basis in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in all this, in all this hope that the Lord gives us, we can praise the Lord for the hope he provides for us and how he protects us. And therefore, I summarized our text this morning under the following theme and points. Blessed be the God who caused us to be born again to a living hope. And we see, first of all, the basis for our hope. Second, the content of our hope. And then lastly, the sure end of our hope. So first, the basis of our hope. In his letter, in the first letter of Peter, the Apostle Peter begins with an address to, in verse 1, the, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, for most of us, perhaps these names, these regions don't say much, or they don't mean much. But we have to think of various regions that would be in what would be modern-day Turkey. And Peter himself was likely in Rome, so he's writing to Christians who are actually quite far away. But more importantly, he calls them pilgrims of the dispersion. Now, perhaps other words for pilgrim that we would use today might be sojourner or perhaps more modern yet temporary residence. And when we use these words, we usually think of people that have left their home country and are now live in a foreign or a new country. So why does Peter call them pilgrims? Have they perhaps left home? Well, Peter is not primarily talking about the nationality of their passport or anything like that. He is addressing his letter to Christians, whom he knows are not of this world. They live in Pontus, Cappadocia, and elsewhere. But Peter reminds them that this is not their home country. They're pilgrims, people traveling through this world, and while their citizenship is in heaven. And this is important in order to understand what Peter writes next. Now, why did Peter write this letter to Christians who are so far away? And from, if we read the rest of the letter, and what Peter describes there and discusses there, it would seem that Peter wants to encourage his brothers and sisters in the faith because they have been and are being persecuted. They're suffering for their faith. And Peter, and Peter hearing of this and led by the Holy Spirit, wants to encourage them so that they would persevere in their faith. He wants to let them know that they have no reason to fear or give up. And that leads us to our text this morning where Peter writes to them about the hope and inheritance that they have in Jesus Christ. He wants them to know just how great God's blessings are so that they will continue to hold on to their faith. For we, and also the Christians back then, might wonder, in such a world where we live, where we as Christians are never really home, and where we might even be persecuted, is there a reason for hope? And our text this morning answers it with, yes, there is a certain reason for hope. And, and Peter also gives us this reason. In fact, Peter has such a great confidence that there is a reason for hope that he begins with praising God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's what he starts with in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even amid persecution and trials, Peter begins with blessing God and praising him because of what he has done. For God has, and Peter continues to say, God who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, of course, before we truly understand what Peter is getting at entirely here, we have to, of course, remind ourselves of the view that Scripture has of sinful human beings. As long as we're on our own, left in our sin, we're dead. We're dead in our sin. We don't worship God, we do not seek God, and we do not praise Him as we ought to. In fact, we're described as enemies of God. And left to ourselves, we would be lost. And we would continue to be dead in our sin. Now, if the saying is that as long as there's life, there's hope, well, if we would look at it, at our spiritual condition, we would say we're lost. We're dead. We have no reason for hope. The picture the Bible paints of sin is one that is hopeless, for sinners at least, because we're dead. We're stuck in our ignorance and futile ways, as Peter goes on to describe it in a lighter chapter. There is no hope in our eyes, and we would have no reason for, that, for any hope. And yet there is hope in our text, and that's what Peter is getting at. And where does it begin? Where does this hope come from? And Peter says it begins with the abundant mercy of our God. Our hope is rooted in who God is. He is our God, merciful and gracious. The reason for our hope in this life is not found in ourselves or in any of our circumstances, but it is found in God himself. We have every reason to think that our spiritual death in sin and even our physical death in the grave would be cause for no hope in this life at all. We need someone else to give us hope, to change, change our sinful situation. And this is where we see that it begins with God and his work. He deserves the praise. It begins with the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he had mercy on us. And even while we were dead in sin, enemies of God, he loved us and showed us his grace. And so everything that follows from what Peter says in this verse is, flows from who God is and what he has done for us. And that is why it begins with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what has our God and Father done to give us hope? Well, it begins with new life. As our text says, it begins with being begotten us again to a living hope. We who were dead are born again, or begotten again. When God calls us from being dead in our sins to being alive in Christ, he gives us new life through his Holy Spirit. And that is what it means to be born again. It means that we do have life again, but it is a completely different life than the one we had. It's a completely new life, even with a new identity. I think we most of us recognize that our birth determines a lot of things. It determines our nationality. Our race, or perhaps the way we look, the color of our eyes, perhaps even our disposition. And to be born again means that we have a new identity. We might look the same on the outside, but being born again means that we are children of God. That we have a heavenly father who we even begin to reflect in this life. More and more in all that we do. It means that our nationality, our passport, is not even from this earth, but instead that it's heavenly. And so is our inheritance as we go on to see. It's a new life and a new beginning. It is truly a reason for hope. And so we're born again 
to a living hope. Now, it's important to realize that the hope, as Scripture talks about it, is not the kind of hope that we are common or that we commonly use in our English language. When we hope for something, it usually is wishful thinking. When we say, I hope the Maple Leafs will make the playoffs next season, or I hope that it won't snow this afternoon, we know that no matter how great our hopes are, it might very well not happen. And yet we can say that we're hopeful. But that's not the kind of hope that Scripture talks about. Hope has certainty to it because it is a hope in God. Our hope can often be put to shame, or our human hope can be often be put to shame. But in Romans 5, verse 5, Paul writes that, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. A hope that is put in God is not put to shame, but it is confident because it is rooted in God. And it is a hope that is even worked in God by his Holy Spirit. And this confident hope worked by God is also a living hope. This means that it's not something that's static, not something that we just have, yes, we have hope, we put it on a shelf and we only draw on it when we need it. But it's a hope that's living and active. It shows in our lives. It influences the way we think and we talk so that we truly live our lives as people that are hopeful. We're not like others, perhaps unbelievers, who have no hope or just a dead hope that we might see around us. And we can see many people in our lives that perhaps have no hope. What hope is there for those that think that this life is all that there is and is all that we have, including all its suffering and problems? What hope is there for those that believe in gods in any kind of form, science, or anything like it, who have not shown that they can conquer death? What hope is there that people dead in sin, enslaved to sin, can actually be alive again when sin is not actually dealt with? Yes, anyone can have hope as wishful thinking, but their hope is going to be put to shame, and it will have no basis. But that is completely different for Christians because we do have grounds for our hope. Our new life does not come out of thin air, but it says we are born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Christian hope is grounded in an historical event that continues to give us hope even today. Now there's of course a lot to be said why the resurrection of Jesus Christ would be a reason to give us hope. But I think we can all see that at least through the resurrection, The Lord has shown us that sin has been dealt with. And because sin has been dealt with, both death and both death as the grave and both death as our death and sin also have been dealt with. Christ rose from the dead, so there is life beyond the grave in Christ. And we know that there is a new life in Christ because sin and death do not have a hold on him and therefore not on us anymore. And therefore we can have a new life, and hope in Christ. And it can be grounded and have a basis. Now in all of this, in what Peter writes, pilgrims are given some solid ground. The nature of a pilgrim is is that you're always on the road. You're always moving and you're always on your way to your destination. But you're just not there yet. And in any pilgrim, in their situation, 
they can struggle because, well, they see where they're at right now, and their destination just seems so far away. How can they be sure that they're on the right track, that they're taking the right road? How can they even be sure that their destination actually exists? And that it's not the case that they, when they end up arriving there, that it was just wishful thinking. So we can have it today. We're, we are overwhelmed. Yes, we follow Christ and we say this world is not our own. But when the journey seems long and hard, how can we be sure that we're heading in the, the right direction? That we're going to the right destination? Is the hope that you have just going to be an empty promise? And yet when we have questions like this, Scripture points us back to something that's real, an historic event. It points us to something that happened near Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. It says, your hope is real and your destination is real because Christ rose from the dead. He truly rose. And that's also why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 makes such a big deal of mentioning all the people who have seen the resurrected Christ. It's important. It's our foundation for our hope. And Paul says, yes, it's amazing, but it's real. There are witnesses. You can ask people. Just so that our hope can have a firm foundation. But if we, as pilgrims, can be certain of our hope, what are we actually certain of? And that brings us to our second point, the content of our hope. Where are we going? And perhaps the more pressing question is, is it actually worth it? Perhaps this summer you decided to take the family camping or anywhere else on holidays. So you finally got through all the packing, getting everyone in the car, and you get on the road, and the children are car sick. Perhaps traffic isn't as well. And about three hours into your eight-hour drive, you just wonder, is it worth it? Now, this is perhaps a rather trivial example. The Christians Peter is writing to are suffering persecution. And they have paid and are paying the price for being a Christian. And in addition, Scripture teaches us that we all as Christians have to learn to leave things behind on this earth. The Christian life is one of sacrifice. And there will be burdens, perhaps in this life, that come upon us because we are Christians. And the question can cross our mind. Is it worth it all? But what both Christian pilgrims and holiday-goers have in common is that when these questions cross their mind, they answer by looking ahead to their destination. As long as they know that their destination is great, they'll stay the course and know that, yes, it is worthwhile. And therefore, our passage speaks of our hope as the greatest destination that awaits us. For just as we might sometimes expect an inheritance from our earthly parents, Those who are born again receive a new inheritance, but now from their heavenly Father. And he does not leave us empty-handed at the end of our journey, at the end of our pilgrimage. In the Old Testament, Abraham and the Israelites received the promised land, the promised land of Canaan as their inheritance from the Lord. But before they actually received their land, they were pilgrims or sojourners for many years. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were pilgrims all their life. They never had their own land. 
But they had God's promises. And there was something far greater ahead of them. And today too, as long as God's people are here on earth, they are always looking forward to something that's better. They are always hoping and longing for a place where they will live with the Lord as he has promised in his word. And our passage, and Peter takes this language of an inheritance and shows us that we as Christians have an inheritance. But it's no longer found in the promised land or it's no longer even found on this earth. It is found in heaven and the Lord is leading us there. This inheritance is also described for us. It is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Just think about these words. It's incorruptible, undefiled, and doesn't fade away. How often do we find that, at least in this life, nothing lasts forever and that all good things come to an end? Is the hope that we have of an eternal life with the Lord going to be one of these things? Something that's fading? Something that perishes? Is the destination we're heading for going to slip through our fingers as soon as we get there or reach it? No, Peter says, our inheritance is unlike anything on this earth because here things perish, they can be corrupted, and even the most beautiful things will eventually fade. But that's not so for our heavenly destination and our heavenly inheritance. Our inheritance is truly heavenly and unlike anything on this earth. And he describes our inheritance as that which is reserved in heaven for you. First of all, that means that it's there. It's reserved for us. It's waiting for us. It's not something that we need to wait for it is, or that it's something that it hasn't been secured yet. Our inheritance is in Christ and he has secured our inheritance already by his death and resurrection when he defeated death. And second, our inheritance is reserved in heaven or you can also say kept, as the word could be translated. Now, anything really valuable in this world, we would like to keep in a safe place. I mean, treasures used to be buried in the ground. Jewelry and other valuables will put in a safe. Because the problem is that these things might be stolen. They might be taken away from us. And I'm quite certain that the Christians Peter was writing to knew what that felt like. And I'm sure there's a lot of Christians throughout the world today who know what it feels like when all your valuables are taken away. When you're persecuted and have absolutely no rights, anyone can come up and take away your valuable stuff. And they can get away with it because you don't have any rights. Valuables can easily be taken away by force or they can be stolen. But our passage says, don't look at that. Look instead at that which is kept for you in heaven. Your inheritance is in the safest place possible. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be taken away from you. It is kept or reserved for you by God himself so that your life and inheritance are safe with him. And this also has implications. Christ teaches us to have that same focus but in different circumstances in Matthew 6, verse 19 to 21. And there he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. So to have a living hope changes where your inheritance or where your treasure is. And it will therefore also influence how you live. What are the kinds of things we try to store up in this life? What are the little inheritance that we try to make for ourselves here? We're here on earth where our inheritance can be taken away. Where you think your inheritance is, there your heart will be also. You can also just think, where do we invest our time and our money? Are we always afraid that we might miss out on this life in some way? Or can we be content and just say that we don't need everything in this life because we have chosen to follow the Lord? And that means that our treasure and inheritance are not going to be here. They're going to be somewhere else. To leave this world and follow Christ means that we very, may, very well may come into situations where we, have to, where we wonder if Christ or if following Christ is actually worth the cost. But really, our text wonders, what is it that this life can offer that does not perish or that, cannot be, or that can be corrupted or will eventually fade? Nothing. Everything here fades or perishes, but the inheritance our God has prepared for us is lasting and is kept safe for us. Thus, we can continue to say with Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the question, of course, that goes through every pilgrim as they travel to their destination is the question, will we make it? Will we make it to our destination? And that brings us to our third point, the sure end of our hope. Especially for our pilgrims, the road can often be long and be treacherous. In the face of trials and persecution, doubt can easily arise and cause us to wonder whether or not we'll actually make it to our inheritance. But even this doubt is countered by the Lord in these verses we read because we see that it does not depend on our own strength here. For our inheritance is reserved for us. For us, as we are described who in verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be, to be revealed in the last time. Not only do we have an inheritance that is kept or preserved for us, we ourselves are also being kept or shielded or guarded by the power of our God. And this power is, of God is the same power that delivered the Israelites from Egypt and that kept them safe through the desert. It is the same power that was able to raise Jesus Christ from the dead It's also the same power that now lives in us and keeps us safe. And what could stand against the power of God? What could be able to overcome it if it was even able to overcome death? Just think, this is the power that shields those who believe in Jesus Christ. And you can understand why Peter just has to begin with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he gives us hope and an inheritance and shields us even in that hope. And this is, of course, great news for pilgrims. Because when you leave your home and country behind, you also leave behind safety or comfort and your defenses. And pilgrims can't build fortresses or castles to defend themselves as they're going along because they're always on the move. They're vulnerable and open to attack. So who will keep them safe? And here we can just think of Exodus 14 or think of the Israelites who left Egypt 
As they were on their way out of Egypt, they were almost overrun by Pharaoh and his army. And the people of Israel had their backs against the Red Sea and with their enemies right on their heels. And so naturally panic sets in. They wonder, why did, why did they leave Egypt? Had they been led here to die in the desert? Who was going to save them now? And what is Moses' response? Well, verses 13 and 14 say, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And what happened then? Well, the angel of the Lord who was going before the people of Israel and the cloud that was there moved behind the people of Israel and between Israel and the Egyptians so that during the whole night, the Israelites were kept safe because they did not come near each other. And that's the power of the Lord who shields those who trust in him. And therefore, the ability to make it to the end to the inheritance is not by our own strength or our own endurance, but it is by faith in the Lord who works our salvation. And like the Israelites, we, were, we would otherwise most likely be caught in the open with no way to defend ourselves. But when we go in faith, we may know that the power of our God shields us. He is our defense and will make sure that we come to the end of our travels. But what makes this more difficult to believe is that sometimes our faith is exactly what brings us and what gets us into these difficult circumstances. If the Israelites hadn't believed Moses, they would not have left Egypt. And then they would not have been stuck at the Red Sea. If the Christians in Pontus and Galatia wouldn't have believed in Jesus Christ, they would not have been persecuted. And it's tempting to think that giving up your faith in these is much easier than to carry on in these instances. We might be tempted to play down our faith or the fact that we're Christians because we're afraid that it might give us problems or that we might be ridiculed or perhaps even be at a disadvantage with the rest of the world. We might worry that holding on to our faith will keep us from keeping up with the rest of the world, when, especially when a lot of extra sacrifices in time and money have to be made. But in the end, our text says that those who believe in the Lord could not be in a better position. They are shielded or kept by the Lord God, by the power of the Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. And so we might wonder how we will continue in a world as pilgrims where there is perhaps much that threatens us on the way and that draws us from the Lord. The fact is that we still have our enemies, the world, the devil, and even our own flesh that fight against us. They might give us the idea that fighting or continuing to living our pilgrim life is not worthwhile because we'll never be able to reach the end of our hope. They will will make trials seem too great. And trials will be there. Peter doesn't deny that. He goes goes on to mention them in the following verses in 6 and onward. They might make you feel weak and unable to persevere. But we can acknowledge that we are weak, yet we have faith in the Lord who will bring us to the sure end of our faith. By his power. And so then, our salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's how verse 6 or verse 5 ends. When Christ returns and the world is judged, we will receive in full the hope that is ours already today. We have new life by the mercy of God. And we are born again and have hope 
in new life as children of God. He calls us out of this world to a better place, a heavenly inheritance which is kept safe for us until we reach the better land. And though the way may seem hard and we find ourselves in tough spots, the Lord is our shield. Hope in Him. He gives us new life and He gives us an inheritance and He brings us all the way home. He is our hope from beginning to end. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.